Hello! Welcome to Slate Money Goes to the Movies. I'm Felix Hammond of Axios. I'm here with Elizabeth Spires of Slate and The Times and places like that. Hello. I'm here with Emily Peck of Axios. Hello, hello. And we are going to talk about Jerry Maguire. Remember that? That was that was like a big thing back in the day. It won Oscars and everything. And oh boy, do we have someone amazingly awesome and fabulous to talk about Jerry Maguire. Mina Kimes, welcome. Hi. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome back. I feel it's been a minute since you've been on the show, like many years. Was I a business journalist? at the time or? you were probably a business journalist at the time are you no longer a business journalist yeah, now you're a tv person right yeah well I've, I've, i went from being a, a business journalist to a sports writer and then i went from being a sports writer to uh, an analyst which means now i just give my opinions on tv um but when i was a sports writer i spent a lot of time around agents so i, I do think I have some qualifications to talk about this movie in particular you are always qualified to come onto slate money for any reason any subject you picked this movie so obviously you're qualified to talk about this movie honestly the only qualifications you need to talk about this movie is having watched the movie (laughs) which i'm going to assume you have done but welcome and and people can find you on espn is that it espn do you have a podcast to plug i do uh i have a football podcast called the mini kime show featuring lenny just (gasps) just came back yeah i was just on maternity leave just came back this today as of our recording so wow yeah had a baby right in the middle of the nfl season you, you look well rested thank you <laughs> <laughs> what's your secret uh professional makeup is my secret <laughs> <laughs> uh, congratulations on the baby and i'm sure there is an overlap between slate money listeners and football people so go check out the mina kimes show but right now we're going to just talk about jerry Maguire, which does have a large quantum of american football in it um is that why you chose it uh i hadn't seen it in a while which is kind of one reason why i chose it um and i kind of wanted to see how it held up because i I was really young when i watched this i saw it in the theater i remember with my family i remember it was as you kind of said a a sensation at the time it was a huge hit uh it was award-winning it was i mean i tom cruise is already famous at that point but it was like a pretty significant moment in his career so i i kind of just wanted to go back and revisit all those things also just as someone again who's in sports and around sports business and and the business of sports you know i, I kind of was curious from like a tam- time capsule perspective to see how stuff aged and spoiler alert some of it aged well some of it didn't two part question was it accurate about the business of sports at the time and would it still be accurate today uh, I think it was accurate. I mean, uh, I mean, agents don't look like Tom Cruise. In, 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 uh, the whole thing, you know, was, was a lot sexier. I actually know the guy who uh, the movie is based on, the agent, uh, and his story is pretty different as well, Lee Steinberg. But um, yeah, I think it was pretty accurate to the industry uh, back then, uh, to some of the concerns, the relationships between athletes and agents, the approach towards money and health and all player health and all those things. Um, but that industry has changed a lot since then. So it wouldn't, if you were to tell a similar story today, it would be very different. Should we give the 45 second recap of Jerry Maguire so people know what we're talking about? Do it, Emily. You're the, you're the queen of the recaps. Jerry Maguire is a sports agent. As Mina has already said, I shouldn't have used my time to repeat that. <laughs> he is a sports agent and he goes through this like 
existential crisis, maybe because some little kid gave him the finger because he was insensitive because the kid's dad, a professional sports player, had had multiple concussions. And Jerry Maguire was like, don't worry, no matter how many times he gets a concussion, he's going to keep playing. Like, that's a good thing. It's not when he gets the finger, he realizes, oh, that's not a good thing. He has an existential crisis in a Miami hotel room and writes what he calls a manifesto and what others call a memo throughout the film. It's kind of like this rambling stream of consciousness thing that we don't get the full picture on in the film. But 20 years later, director Cameron Crowe released the full manifesto, which we should discuss because it's so terrible. And the manifesto (laughs) is just like, basically, money is not the most important thing. You should have relationships with your athletes. We should represent fewer of them. Uh, Blah, blah, blah. Coffee late at night tastes like college. Stuff like that. And then he basically gets fired and meets Renee Zellweger and things happen. And it's billed as a romantic comedy, but I think that the real romance is between Tom Cruise's character and Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character. Okay. Wow. Back to you. (laughs) Yes. Um, I'm I'm gonna quote from this letter (laughs) because it is one of the most amazing things in the world. I once had a yellow couch I got rid of it because it was neutral. My life is now like that yellow couch. And apparently in the world of the movie, this is an incredibly inspirational and dangerous thing to write. Everyone sort of applauds him for writing it. Rene Selweger falls in in love with him for writing it. He gets fired for writing it. And I'm like, seriously, no one ever got fired or applauded or fallen in love with for writing My Life is Like a Yellow Couch. But <laughs> this is Hollywood, people. Well done, Tom Cruise. Maybe it's maybe it's just something about that Tom Cruise magic. I think in, in real life, people who write manifestos are largely regarded as narcissists or slightly unhinged. So this portrayal of manifesto writer as romantic, you know, hero. I, I doesn't He calls it a mission statement. Yeah, a mission manifesto. statement. I called it a manifesto. Correction. (laughs) Yeah. The purported message of the manifesto is we don't really care about our clients and we should care about them more and spend more time with them, which seems like a very unobjectionable thing to write. Mina, as someone who knows this industry, is this a tension in the industry that agents have too many clients and they don't spend enough time with them? That actually is is a real tension, a real thing. By the way, yellow couch is not neutral. When you said that, I was like, that that should have been the first red flag. Um, that's like, yellow, yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, I, so I, I, a lot of agencies or agents start out, so you know, some start out in like the CA mailroom or the, one of the three big three or whatever. But a lot of them who start out independent will start out with like one or two clients, and then they grow with them, and then if they choose wisely, they can get bigger. And then at a point, they either get much bigger and they stop they run the risk of paying less attention to their clients or they get bought out and that sort of results in a similar dynamic. So I think that is a actual like pretty accurate representation of attention that is pretty persistent in the industry, regardless of whether you're talking about sports agents, Hollywood agents or whatever. Well, and you, you mentioned the, the CAA mailroom. Mm. CAA stands for Creative Artists Agency. It is famous in Hollywood for representing Hollywood actors, probably more than one of the stars in the in the movie, and even Mina Kimes. It strikes me that one of the messages of the movie is that 
sports is very much, we've covered this on the show many times in the past, sports is very much part of the entertainment industry that Tom Cruise is struggling to get Cuba Gooding, the multi-million contract that he feels that he deserves until Cuba Gooding does all manner of crowd-pleasing antics at the end of the field and jumps up and down and gets everyone to cheer for him, at which point the club is more or less obliged to throw millions of dollars at him because he's such a good entertainer. Felix, that is not an accurate reflection or summary of what occurs. Tom Cruise tells Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character, Rod Tidwell, he says, play with your heart, not your head. And then Rod Tidwell starts playing like amazing football. It's not his capacity as an entertainer. Playing the amazing football is what is entertaining, right? I mean, it's not because he does antics. Also, it's supposed to be like a championship game and he wins it or something. Right. It's their game to get yeah. into the playoffs. Yeah, and he has the big play at the end, and he's clearly concussed, which, by the way, that is the aspect of the movie that is aged worse, the how they talk about concussions. That's every sports movie pre, like, 2009. Uh, what you just talked about, Emily, that, like, they're this sort of how did he get the contract, that tension is, I would say, the single biggest tension that sports agents, NFL agents in particular, face, which is do you accept the safe contract for less money or do you allow your client mm. to accept risk to their health because it's such a dangerous sport bet on themselves he has a great season the bet goes well but often it doesn't and there's a scene that i actually think is probably one of the better scenes of the movie where they get the offer it's very underwhelming from the cardinals and jerry doesn't tell him what to do in that scene which um i thought actually was pretty accurate to how agents and players because it is such a personal decision. Do I want to risk my body for an entire season or do I want to just take less money now? Yeah, and he even says that, the, um, Jerry Maguire does say that, like, well, if he doesn't take it, he he could get injured and then get nothing. And I was like, oh. Which happens all the time. <laughs> happens all, all the time? It, it happens a lot, yeah. I mean, this is a real... That's awful. Yeah, and, and this is a way in which a lot of NFL players' contracts are pretty cost-controlled because... They don't want to play them out. So teams are always offering them early extensions, knowing that they, they don't want to take the risk of not getting paid at all. Is it also realistic that if I do a good catch play thing at the end of a playoff game, then that will get me another $10 million? Well, as Emily said, it was the cumulative, I would say, <laughs> of the season. But yeah, <laughs> honestly, like we have seen teams make those kinds of business decisions. It's it's not purely merit. So that is an, another element of film that is a little bit accurate. Like if he does have fan base appeal as an entertainer and a big play and a big moment, that actually can incentivize teams to stick with the player because, you know, it sells tickets. Can you talk a little bit about what the agent's responsibilities are in this kind of job? Like I remember the first time I had a meeting with a literary agent I told my mom about it and she was like, oh, like in Jerry Maguire? And I said, uh, <laughs> That's exactly, yeah. Well, my, my, my book agent is exactly like that. <laughs> Wait, all of you have agents. I am the only one who is a free agent. I have nothing. Anyway, go on. It's not important. Uh, so what do, what do they, you know, in, in the movie, um, Maguire and Rod Tidwell are super close and he shows up at everything he does. Like where, where do the agent's responsibilities actually start and stop? If it's a guy who doesn't have many clients, you, he might actually do that, like show up a lot and be really involved in their lives to that extent. With your bigger agent, maybe with their big clients, they're more likely to act that way. So 
Again, that is pretty accurate. His job is obviously to negotiate with the team and, and then try to help the client make the optimal decision. But again, because football is so dangerous, that's pretty fraught. Um, concussions make it fraught as well. You're constantly like, okay, do you want to X years? Well, could the value go up? You're calculating the market, all of that. Um, I, I think an interesting tension that doesn't exist when you're smaller, like McGuire is in the movie, is sometimes because these agents, so there's like a few super agents in football, for example, who represent tons of guys, the biggest guys. Sometimes there's a little bit of horse trading involved. I mean, the you're dealing with only 32 buyers of your, you know, client's services and you're negotiating with them on the part of multiple parties. So it can get a little bit fraught that way as well. Right, because they might not go as hard for their clients because they have to come back and negotiate with the teams all the time and the clients come and go. Yeah, but it, I mean, you get this kind of even more in the book world where there are only like four big publishers. And if you have a big agency, then in a weird way that helps you, I think, because the publishers know that this is a repeat game. Package deals, that kind of thing, yeah. It's not just package deals. It's just that they know that it's not just about this one deal. They're going to have to come back and work with this agent over and over and over again, and they need to have some kind of a relationship of trust there. Otherwise, you know, nothing is going to work. Another thing about, like, if, let's say, Jerry represented a bunch of slot receivers who all became free agents at the same time. If you're one of them, if you're Rod Tidwell, how do you think, is, are you sure he's advocating the most for you for a particular team? And So again, this all speaks to the uh, the mission statement and why there's a little bit of underlying truth to this idea of like when you get too big, it creates a lot of problems for the clients. And so I guess in the weird parallel universe of the movie, the reason why he gets fired is because there's some kind of an implication that they would have to downsize and represent fewer athletes. I didn't. I never quite understood the the purpose, like what what they thought they were achieving by firing him. I found it to be really that was like the really like a relic of the time, which you guys, I'm sure, remember in the '90s. We old Gen Xs, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember. Movies like Fight Club and Reality Bites, like anti-corp capitalism, was it, it was very simplistic, right? Like, and this the the messaging of this movie is very simplistic. His mission statement it's so simplistic. It's just like corporations are bad, capitalism is bad, the man is bad. And now looking back on it, it's so one dimensional and not like doesn't you know we now understand like there's so many different layers to these things and um to go to your point it was just like well he said the man was bad so of course the man's gonna fire him and it didn't really like they never really drew that line logically I felt but I mean I would have fired him because writing that and then getting it professionally bound at the mailboxes etc wherever <laughs> and then distributing it to the whole company that was like an unhinged thing to do. Like that's what's fireable to me. Not the contents of the memo, but just the whole... Don't be unhinged. Don't be unhinged. You have to be chill and cool. Don't be stealing fish. <laughs> Although the, the, the mission statement was supposedly based on an actual memo that Jeffrey Katzenberg sent around that sounded kind of equally loaded with meaningless corporate psychobabble. 
And have to love the work, yes. he said in his memo. He was at Disney at the time, right? Yes. But yeah, like this is this is clearly not designed to be a documentary. <laughs> Also, we're talking about this like it's a Michael Mann movie or something about like a lone wolf character. It's, it's you know, it's a rom-com and it feels like a rom-com from that period. But Cameron Crowe at the time was like a very well-respected yeah. director. He had done um, singles. He had done um, the one where the guy holds up the boombox. Help me out. Say anything. Say anything. Um, he was like, people took this seriously. Like Janet Maslin in the Times loved it, which yeah. really surprised me because it is an objectively bad movie. There's no rom and there's <laughs> no calm. There's well, there's a little bit of comedy, right? Everything with <laughs> Cuba Gooding Jr. in it is funny, and the show me the the show me the money. Everything the kid does is is funny, but like yeah, but it's not that funny, like. But like the times it's like, oh my God, this is the funniest thing that has happened in movies in decades. It's like, it's not that funny, people. It's just like, it's a one note joke. I think Renee Zellweger is good in it. Uh, I will say. I, I, I the. She quivers. She quiv well, it just, I, I like the, like, as far as like their relationship, it's not an arc you usually see where like the, the way they get together and then sort of their reverse, you know, they get married and then kind of realize that they want to be together. I thought that was. It, it what struck me is watching it was not that it was a great piece of cinema necessarily, but um, <laughs> that it's kind of movie you don't really see anymore. That's true. Like that sort of um, mid market family ish kind of. Well, I guess it's not a family movie, but like it's a family movie. Eh, the scene, there's a pretty raunchy sex scene with him and his ex, who I don't, I still don't understand what she does. Oh my god, the, the weird, the sex scene at the beginning yeah, with his, he's he's engaged at the beginning, yeah. and there's this long scene where they're both completely naked, and you're like, are you going to put some clothes on? No, I'm not. We're just going to stay naked, yeah. and yeah, it kind of like, and they're both magnificent sort of human specimens, very buff and perfectly formed, and it kind of put me in mind and. I'm really sorry for saying this because once oh, I no. say it, you're not going to be able to unsee it. Of like, this is like Jeff Bezos and Lauren Sanchez. You know, no, they're no, just like, you know. no. <laughs> what? How, how dare you compare Tom Cruise? <laughs> I don't. 34 year old Tom Cruise was a specimen. <laughs> yeah. And Kelly Preston was gorgeous. Perfect. They were both they were both very perfect and gorgeous. Yeah. And then and then of course he winds up with Renee Zellweger, who's always been like managed to be on that fine line between A being like a stunningly beautiful movie star, but also being able to portray being normal and very not nineties. You know, she's got a very nineties look. Yeah. yeah. They in the reviews they called her ordinary. And I was like, were they watching the same she's movie? Not like she's obviously beautiful. <laughs> That's so crazy. And also, why does she fall in love with his character? It's just because he's hot, right? That's really what it is. That's it. And he was yeah, I mean, that's not I mean, charming. Yeah. I don't. What, what, it, well, she, she falls in. She falls in love with him because her kid gives him a kiss, and she's like, "Oh, now I need to love you because my kid loves you." He seems to. Why am I defending this movie and Tom Cruise? No, <laughs> he seems to really, um, really <laughs> like her kid, and and it's it, which I also thought was a kind of a interesting decision because the kid is never presented as like an obstacle or like the kid is a draw for him in the movie yeah. he wants to be a dad to the kid and i think that's a big part of the reason why she falls in love with him like from the moment 
when they see each other in the airport and he like find, helps her find the kid. I mean, the kid, is, the kid is speaking of specimens. Like, where the hell did they find that kid? <laughs> oh my god. Um, yeah, he he was like his, his little hairstyle with the spiked yeah. hair all yeah. the time. Yeah. Jerry has more chemistry with the kid and with Cuba Gooding Jr. Like, there's really an arc <laughs> with the Rod Tidwell character, right? Like, at, at the at first, he's just, yeah. like, annoyed and rolling his eyes at this guy, and he says, show me the money, and he's just, like, clinging to him because he's his only client. But by the end, I feel like they now love each other, and they're really in each other's lives. And I was really struck by what a wonderful, full arc they had, whereas with Renee Zellweger's character. Yeah, they, they, it's a good bromance yeah, it's a bromance and i liked it it's a it's it's a better bromance than romance yes i do think that is uh pretty accurate when it comes to like these lifelong relationships between sports mm-hmm. agents like a lot of them represent these guys from high school or not high school sorry um right when they grow well now it's different because of NIL, they do actually work with them at a younger age, the college students, which is interesting. Um, but they start working with them, they're like 22. And then a lot of them represent them for decades. Honestly, these are like really serious lifelong relationships. And it is someone who is an advocate for you in a way that no coach will ever be. No, like there's this weird, like the, they work for this 22 year old and they are, they're biggest cheerleader their biggest fan they're like it's really and i and i have been around these relationships and seen them i think the so i mentioned this is based on uh lee steinberg who was an agent i don't know if you guys read about it at all he you know he kind of famously he was an alcoholic he lost a lot of clients he had a big comeback he now represents patrick mahomes who's the best football player in the world Um, and i believe it was based on his relationship with warren moon uh who's the quarterback who he represented for years. And I and I do think that's kind of interesting. Like, there's not really, it's a very unique financial relationship that it's hard to think of many things like that, where it's one person who works for, it's like a really loyal assistant, sort of, but they need you to be really successful. Also, there's, and this may be an impression I just get from Hollywood or watching movies about sports and, you know, uh, behind the scenes sports stuff, like in Moneyball or, you know, the winning time series, which I thought was great. But in in those films, you know, the agents kind of have this relationship, not just with the athlete, but with their families, their spouses sometimes. Yes. And they sort of expect that the families are going to be part of the decision-making process in a way that I can't imagine any other thing that you would be agented for mm. where the agent knows that they also have to, you know, uh, butter up mom and dad or the spouse. Uh, how true is that? That's really true, and that's a really good point. I think that is something that differentiates sports from, like, probably a lot. I mean, I you know, if you represent, like, a young actor, obviously you have to deal with their parents. But something that is unique with sports, and especially football and basketball, um, although football is the one I know best, is these guys are, like, small economies. I mean, they are, you know, they a lot of people are dependent on them. Um, you are typically dealing with their entire families, um, especially because, again, they start working with them at a really young age as well. And typically it is like they do have relationships with their parents and their uncles. And, and when you talk to – I can't even tell you how many times when I used to write about football players and I would deal with the agent and they'd be like, okay, I'll tell – you know, I'd be like, okay, can he be, I don't know, in Texas on Wednesday? And they'd be like, let me talk to his uncle or something. Like it really <laughs> is like – I mean it like it's it's truly 
that sort of relationship and they know everything about them they know like the darkest secrets they know their mom's birthdays it is a very unique relationship when when was the movie like mid 90s so, yeah 96 96 in the past you know 25 30 years however long it is in the movie he goes from being given a lowball offer of just what was it like 1.7 million over three years or something like that and eventually getting like 11 million for the same amount of time and that's like that's high what are the what would the equivalent numbers be today uh okay so i don't know exactly i'd have to look back i mean i would suspect at minimum per year (laughs) rather than over three years i'll just say he's a wide receiver right so the top wide receivers in the NFL, the very best, and I don't think they suggest that he's like one of the best, best, but make over 20 million around there. Um, and then that mid-tier is probably in high single digits through the teens per year, we're talking. So he's probably getting, for a three-year contract, what a relatively normal wide receiver would get per year today yeah so i could see like you know like i said 11 million per year might be or or a little bit more if he's a really good player but something that they don't address that is massive is nfl contracts aren't guaranteed and that's really everything in football is how much of it is actually guaranteed and there's all these different kinds of guarantees Uh, nfl contracts are famously misreported so when you see a guy say wow he got like an you know a three-year contract for 30 million dollars but then you start digging through the actual numbers. It'll be like, well, but this is only guaranteed for injury, and this is a roster bonus, and da 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 da. Um, and that matters, of course, because as I was saying earlier, if you get injured, you might only see a, a small portion of that. Right, because that that was the that was the stated reason to take the lowball contract, because, like because the implication was at least that one point seven million is guaranteed. But you're saying that nowadays, maybe. Back then they were, and now they're not. Like, oh no, no, it's always it's yeah. This is not so, but even back then, that one point seven million wasn't really guaranteed. Yeah, pro- fo- yeah, football's unique in the lack of guarantees. So, so what is Jerry Maguire's cut then? Ten percent? No, much less. Yeah, football contracts. I think agents usually take like two percent or something. Oh, tiny. It's because the the numbers are pretty bar- large. I mean, like, you know, we're talking like a quarterback. So, like. You know, a quarterback might be like a, I think the last one was 260 million. I, I forget, but it's a lot of money. <laughs> um, and then the guys who represent them represent a lot of people. And then do they get the same percentage of all of those shoe deals and all the rest of it as well? No, that's actually different. Yeah. So there's different percentages sometimes for marketing and it's different from the salary. Salary, I think, is usually the lowest of the buckets but again and there's a thing happening now too by the way where increasingly in sports this isn't super common yet but some athletes have started to represent themselves because they don't want to give that two percent away Uh, and there's a lot of debate over how effective that is and whether they've done a good job and obviously that debate is informed by uh, anonymous sources who are agents. Who, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, you know, it is, it's complicated because the contracts are complicated. But some would say you just need a lawyer and just take the last guy's deal and add 5% to it. I have a couple questions about football. I was surprised at how sort of crunchingly 
negatively portrayed. The, the the sport seemed to me to be portrayed. There's a lot of pain and p- concussion, and football as a sport does not come across well in this movie. But maybe that's just me watching it in 2023, and in fact, everyone just saw all of these men like running into each other in high speed and went, "Oh yeah, that's football. We love it." Well, I think if the I agree with you. Uh, but I think if like the tension of the movie is this guy taking a a guy who plays a position where they keep talking about he takes hits over the middle of the field, so he's a slot receiver. So like certain players get injured more than others, and it's implied that he is the type of receiver who takes very punishing hits. And that's sort of the tension of the movie is like, is this guy going to make it through the season so that not only he can get generational wealth, but this Jerry Maguire, more importantly, into the movie, right? Jerry Maguire can have a sustainable business. And Jerry Maguire's adoptive kid, because that's the one who really Yeah, because if it was, well, the, right, their whole relationship is contingent on the business surviving. The business surviving is contingent on Rod Tidwell not getting concussed and, like, not getting paid, right? And is this the, is this the kind of storyline that I think you talk about in your podcast? Like, there's, there's a slot receiver, and you're like, is he going to be able to make it through the season? And does this person actually have a future in the sport? And that kind of thing. Um, well, my podcast is mostly just analyzing the game. So it's more like, did the slot receiver, does he have a good matchup this week? <laughs> <laughs> but we, we, know, we talk a little bit. We talk, I talk about contracts a lot. And, um, you know, what happens in this movie, a guy betting on himself, that is something we would talk about. And, um, it is something that plays out all the time in the NFL, sometimes to great reward for these guys. Uh, and sometimes it doesn't work out. And, and the, the other very, very important question that I have about American football and American football players as portrayed in Jerry Maguire, the movie, um, are they all that astonishingly hairless? <laughs> There's like nobody Troy hair Aikman's anywhere in, the in movie. this movie. <laughs> Drew Bledsoe's in it. There's some. Oh my gosh! Now I'm thinking about all these cameos. Must have just gone over your head. There's some really famous people <laughs> in this no movie. Idea. He doesn't know who any of these people are. <laughs> Al Michaels is in it. Frank Gifford. Uh, which that makes it interesting because the like you said, the, it's not the best portrayal of football. So I didn't recognize Al Michaels. I like Googled it. Like, is that really Al Michaels? Because he looks yeah, so he looked different. <laughs> Cuba Gooding Jr. I I will say there's a lot. He is kind of like a stereotype of. A wide receiver, well, it's a stereotype in certain other ways, but as a wide receiver, like in the NFL, different positions have different stereotypes from a personality perspective associated with them. And wide receivers have historically been like the divas of NFL teams. They just want are about themselves or they have big personalities. Um, it can sometimes be pretty true, <laughs> I will say. Uh, but I, I thought he played it pretty accurately. I mean, it's a little over the top, but what about when? when Tom Cruise is like, you want to put a towel on? And he's like, no, I air dry. <laughs> In the locker room, oh, <laughs> Cuba Gooding Jr. is fully naked. And yeah. it's obviously awkward for Jerry Maguire's character. So he says, you know, do you want to put a towel on? And he's like, no, I air dry. And he just walks around naked for the rest of the scene. And we see his t- a lot of his tush. There's a lot of male nudity in the film. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Silence. It's funny. It's a very, it's a very masculine movie. I, I think of this film as a critique of American healthcare because <laughs> Tidwell is really, really worried about his injury potential, and Renee Zellweger is very concerned about getting health insurance because her That's kid true. has asthma. I, I remembered him having, like, from when I watched it, like some horrible disease, and he doesn't. 
I remember. <laughs> I thought he did also. He just had glasses. It was just glasses. I think. Are we confusing it with that movie, uh, Jack Nicholson? And I forget where the kid really has some like terminal kind of not terminal, but like really bad thing. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, no, it's true. Like I, I only watched the movie like less than a week ago, and already I think that the kid had some <laughs> terrible. Disease. But no, he turns out to be like an incredible baseball player in the end. Oh, I was gonna say Jonathan Livnicki. I don't know anything about him, but he's very famous for now being super jacked. If you Google Jonathan Livnicki, really? the first thing that comes up is now. You should do it, and he's like unbelievably buff. I don't know if he's still an What's actor his name? or not, but Jonathan, Jonathan Livnicki. I think he he had a few big child roles. <laughs> Emily is Googling it like right now. Okay. All right. I see him. Is he jacked? He's 33. He's young still. Okay. I don't see any like the Google search. naked pictures or anything, but I don't want to say naked pictures. Oh my God. Computer. Wow. Yeah. There's uh, okay. there's out. there's there's some real like six pack situations going on. New York Daily News headline. Jonathan Lipnicki, former child star from Jerry Maguire, debuts shockingly muscular body. <laughs> I love the idea that you can debut a body. How's your body? Have you debuted your body yet? Uh, Bonnie Hunt's really good in the movie, too, by the way. Speaking of 90s icons, the sister. I thought that was Stockard Channing because I got my years wrong. But she does look oh, a lot no. like Stockard Channing. Thanks, kind of, yeah. No. But um, but she was good. I like I like some real sister. '90s stalwarts like Jay Moore as Bob Sugar, is <laughs> is uh pretty solid in it. Great name, yeah. So okay, so explain where this comes from. It seems like such a weird conceit, right? Like I'm going to make like a broish American football sports movie with a triumphant comeback and big win at the end and everyone's happy and then sort of mix it up combine it with a very formulaic rom-com it's like it's not an obvious movie to me and then i'm going to get like tom cruise to star in it like none of this is obvious none of this makes any kind of obvious sense and then it's going to win oscars it's like what but don't you, like there were a lot of movies like that like, but to go back to the sort of anti-capitalist thing, this was like a, there were a lot of movies where that was really the sort of entire message. Have you seen Reality Bites? It really it made me think of Reality Bites, <laughs> where it's just like the man is bad, and so is that the message of this movie? Do you think this is an anti-capitalist movie? At at a very superficial way, yeah, I think that's what it would like it to be. Like that, the ethos of the movie is that selling out is bad. And here's a man who who realizes that. I thought the ethos of the movie was show me the money and let and sell me out as much as you possibly can, and more sell out, more better. It's very boomer because I feel like the boomers they like they were against the man and they were against selling out, but they wanted a lot of money at the same time. Like that was the ultimate boomer move to be like Jan Wenner, like, or something like that. Like you're against the man and against selling out, but at the end of the day, you make a lot of money. Who was in the movie? Who was in the movie, right. He didn't hold up well. No, people have been following that story. Yeah, it's like the suits are bad. Let me, let me rephrase that. It's like suit corporate culture is bad. And 
you know, at the end, Jerry's wearing like casual clothes. He's at the game. He's not like that slick asshole Bob Sugar mm-hmm. who dates a single mom who helped him find love and he's rediscovered meaning in life. And he teaches his player to play with his heart instead of playing only for himself. And it's all kind of bullshit. But like that, a lot of 90s movies are kind of like that, you know, like that was kind of the point of them. I, I kind of think about the fact that the two supposedly most romantic lines in the movie, you complete me and you had me at hello, are now just shorthand for uh, rom-com cheesiness. Like everyone understands what you mean if you invoke them in that way. Did this movie invent you complete me? Yeah, this is this is like a bit a bit like you know to be or not to be. This is this is this is the <laughs> font from which a million cliches since spouted. <laughs> this is this is the origination of you complete me. Wow, I heard show me the money yeah. long before I ever saw this movie. I was like, that's the show me the money movie. I didn't know what it meant. There's Nothing. a lot of yeah, a lot of one liners. I think it's those three really. It's show me the money, you complete me, and you had me at hello. All of which are. I don't know. I feel like none of them have really stood the test of time. Yeah. <laughs> they they all have that aura of cringe at this point. Regina King's character is by far the best character in the movie. Yes, she's yes. great. Agree. <laughs> Agree. Uh, and it and, and is like genuinely interesting. They should remake it, but just have it be about her character and Cuba Gooding Jr. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, it's just, it, I guess it just to me felt very of, of the moment. Uh, but it is surprising. I don't. Who were the other movies nominated for Best Picture that year? Because, like, it's definitely not a, you know, artistic film. Did it win Best Picture? No. Something maybe The English Patient. It won like, but like Cuba Gooding famously gave the world's most like off the chain acceptance speech. Mm. But also tell me, like, I feel like again, I am not someone to talk about sports movies. I am not a big. Sp- sports movie kind of person but this this does seem to have been you know the related to that kind of movie movie where you know moneyball or i don't know probably the blind side which i still haven't seen um i haven't seen either of them to be honest but the idea that you what you're doing is you're 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 foregrounding the you know parasitical white guy um as as the as the way that the presumptively white audience can understand what is going on with the black athlete yeah and the the movie kind of is like a little self-aware about that there's a few moments where they hint at it but yeah when he's like i'm black i'm the blackest agent there is and everyone's like yeah you're tom cruise (laughs) well that kind of when i was saying how the mission statement is really like archaic in terms of like exploring what's problematic about the sports industry and representation it it's so simplistic it's just like you know corporatism is bad selling out is bad when there it's a something written now that uh was well done would address the fact that um there's this like very omnipresent racial power imbalance that's been around for your not just in terms of college sports and obviously players who have been paid but even when you look at the cottage industry around these athletes the dynamic of asking them to put their bodies on the line when do we ask them to do that um the player health aspect there's just so many more complicated layers to that relationship to that business of representation and agents that are just pushed aside it's just about don't get too big 
pay attention to your clients, which is very, very small slice of it. It's just that it's like that 90s thing or maybe that forever thing of like the man becoming a little more sensitive and following his heart. And like that's that's the whole thing. He's the protagonist. It's all about him. Yeah. And that's considered like a full redemption arc. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if someone as rich and good looking as Tom Cruise, who flies in the front half of the airplane and is engaged to Kelly Preston and has very good sex, if he can turn out to have feelings, then that is a truly heroic and noble thing to do. I feel like this was definitely a trope of the rom coms <laughs> of this period where, you know, this guy is kind of a dick. This woman falls in love with him, even though he is a dick because she knows that he can be better. And then he gets <laughs> slightly better. And then there's a happy ending. So, yeah, she even says that literally. She's like, I know he's almost there. Stuff like that. She says it over and over. There's some good in him. (laughs) I'm in love with the man he can be. Yes. (laughs) What's the phrasing? Like he's on the cusp of being or whatever. I will push back one thing. I do think 34 year old Tom Cruise is charismatic. (laughs) I he I mean, he like, I don't know. On screen, you're like, oh, my God, like this guy. You see why. He became, he was already, but his stardom has persisted for so long, for so many years, because he's like just so magnetic to me. All right. So Elizabeth, what letter grade would you give this movie? Well, I think when I saw it, and I was probably a freshman in college, I would have said like B plus or A minus. And now it was, I was cringing enough that I was in the B minus territory. Like I, it's still kind of enjoyable, but. As, as you know, a movie now, I think it, it doesn't compare to even the genre best stuff now. I, th- I think I would probably give it a C. Like, it's just not well written, you know? It, it just has stru- deep structural weaknesses that, that like, you, that's table stakes for a movie like this. But Emily, what do you think? I actually... I was I was floating in the C camp for a while, but after talking about it, I put it I put it to to B plus. I, I enjoyed it. It it's cringy, yes. Does it hold up? <laughs> eh, not really. Is it as funny as it wants to be? No. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it was like pretty entertaining film. Like I, you don't see a lot of movies like this anymore that are just like light fare, light comic fare. I don't know. I enjoyed it. I like the catchphrases. Sue me. Light comic fair that didn't make you laugh once. Um, I'll give it a B plus too. I, I found it to be eminently watchable. I think that's yes. like, which that is to me that's what it. I, it, it can, is hard to find at the theaters these days. Like you just sit down, it just goes down so easy. I did find it to be, um, while not um, particularly nuanced or delving into the real tensions of the sports agency industry pretty accurate to how those guys act and uh sort of some of the the things that they encounter and i liked um you know some of the performances clearly i mean this yeah, yeah. You, you i can we, yeah we, it's clear you you <laughs> you were attracted to the whole 34 year old Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise thing yeah. <laughs> what can i say if you want to see 30 or 4 year old tom cruise naked there are this is a prime opportunity to do it holds up Mina, thank you so much for coming on, coming out of maternity leave for doing this. This is amazing. 
And um, yeah, we will all start. I'm now going to start listening to your podcast and it will all go straight over my head, but I will understand. Somehow, eventually understand it. I wonder how many minutes you would get through. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, thanks for coming on and thanks for emailing us, slatemoney at slate.com. And we'll be back on Saturday with a regular Slate Money. <laughs>